0: When it comes to love, I'm sure many of you have uh, realized that there's a bunch of different ways to express love. There's many different ways that communicate love to people. Um, you know, when uh, Ro and I were first married, I used to uh, write her poems all the time, all sorts of poems, mushy, soppy, gagworthy poems, but I was writing poems, all sorts of, and you know what? She just wasn't in them. And it just wasn't her thing. And she was like, nah, it doesn't really matter. I used to buy her flowers all the time. And then she said, "Adrian." You've got to stop buying me flowers. It's a waste of money. Don't worry about it. If you really want to, you can pick some flowers as you walk home from the station, but you don't need to buy me flowers. Uh, See, I was trying to express love, but for her, what would have been much more important and valuable is for me to just kind of do stuff around the house, cook and clean and take the garbage out and stuff like that. That said love to her. Poetry, uh, flowers, just wasn't her thing. Love languages are actually really different. And maybe you've heard of this, uh, this common theory called the five love languages. It kind of categorizes the five main ways of conveying and expressing love to people. Up there on the screen, inside your um, in your news sheet on your outline, uh, some people love to receive gifts. That's the thing that makes them feel really loved. Uh, whereas some people prefer having things done for them, kind acts, acts of service. Others feel if someone speaks positively about them, says a kind, encouraging word, that that says love. There are people who see love expressed in physical ways, through a hug or a touch or holding hands. Or you can show your love for someone just by spending quality time with them, hanging out with them, just being with them. As I've uh, done this talk through the day, I've realized I, I, I want to put up a sixth one, and that I think is food is a love language. In fact, seventh is probably just bacon, is its own, um, and and chocolate or whatever it is. But I think food is a love language in and of itself. But I wonder, how do you express your love to others? How do you like love to be expressed to you? What makes you feel special? What makes you feel loved? Is it lots of gifts? Or is it that special text message or that note or maybe a big hug? or just time together, or just someone who's put in the effort for you. As we come to our passage tonight, it's all about God's love for the world. It's about how God expresses his love for us. And so my question tonight is, what kind of love language does God use? God loves the world. He delights in his creation and in his people. He cherishes us. But how do we see this? How does he express his love? Well, before we get to the answer, I just want to notice from this passage that this question of God's love takes place in the context of who gets to go to heaven. In our passage, Jesus is talking about how to have eternal life, how to have access to heaven and the new creation. When it comes to the question of who gets to go to heaven, who gets to have eternal life, the thing we need to realize is, well, technically, no one does. Who gets to go to heaven? No one. Because look at how we are described. Look at how our world is described, how people are described in verse 19. This then is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed see the light that's come into the world is jesus jesus brings the light of truth he reveals what's going on in our hearts and in our minds he reveals what is going on in our relationship with god he brings the light of truth he brings the light of life the antidote to the darkness of death he brings the light of righteousness and goodness into the world but we're told what happens people love darkness People would rather have ignorance and wickedness rather than light. People reject Jesus because they want to hide their guilt. They want to hide their shame and all the wicked things they do. They hide in the darkness. Jesus comes into a world where no one should go to heaven. No one is worthy. No one has done enough to have eternal life. We love darkness. We ignore God. We reject the truth. You see, that reality makes God's love for the world even more remarkable, doesn't it? Jesus comes to a world that doesn't deserve his love, that doesn't earn his love, in fact doesn't even want his love. But God loved the world in this way. Now, how does he express his love? How does he communicate this love? Well, tonight I want to suggest that God's love actually covers All the love languages. And that's exactly what the gospel is about. God's love is expressed in all the different ways that you could possibly imagine and perceive and experience. Whatever love language you are, you're covered. God loves you. And you see it firstly there in verse 16 of our passage. God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son. God gives us a gift. God's love for us leads him to offer us a gift. A thing we need to keep remembering is that a gift is something that's completely undeserved. It's not something you earn. It's not something you have to work for or you pay it back over time. It's not something you're obliged to give to someone. It's a free, generous gift. God loved the world by generously giving us his one and only son. He gave us Jesus. And we need to realize that's the most precious, the most unbelievably valuable gift ever in the history of the universe. God gave us his son, the one he loves, the one he delights in, the one who is precious to him. He's well pleased in him. God's son born into the world as a gift to us, as a clear and profound declaration to us that God loves us. He loves us, so he gives us his precious son because he wants to give us eternal life. You see that at the end of the verse, don't you? That God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's what God's gift of Jesus is about. He gave us Jesus so that we won't perish. He gave us Jesus so that he could give us eternal life. The Bible says this elsewhere in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It should come up on the screen. The wages of sin is death. That's what you earn from sin. That's the wage you earn from your life of rejecting God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's gift to an undeserving world is perfect, joyful relationship with Him forever. So God gives us Jesus in the sense that Jesus came into the world, a world that didn't deserve his love. But he also gives us Jesus in the sense that Jesus went to the cross for us so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be loved. Which brings us to the the second point of the act of service that God uses to demonstrate his love. Jesus shows God's love for the world by coming to serve us. Jesus' whole life is filled with this selfless purpose to serve us and do what's good, not for himself, but for us. When he meets sick people, he heals them straight away. When he meets paralyzed people, he, he raises them up and makes them walk again. He, he does good to everyone he meets. When he meets the blind, he gives them their sight. He raises the dead. He even gets down on his knees and washes the feet of his disciples Because he says, I've come to serve you and I've come to love you and I've come to do what you need, which is to wash you clean. God came to be our servant. The Bible describes us as his enemies, but God came to serve us and love us. And that's love, isn't it? Jesus himself says, The Son of Man, he's talking about himself. He says, The Son of Man, I came not to be served although I have every right to be served because I'm your king and creator. But he says, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus was happy to come and be born as a helpless baby in the middle of a backwater town in the middle of nowhere. He was happy to be laid as a baby in an animal feeding trough. How humble is he and willing to serve? But his ultimate act of service was he died on the cross. He loved us enough to carry our cross up that hill, to die our death on that day, to suffer our punishment that we deserved so that our sin would be taken away and we could have eternal life as a free gift so that we get to go to heaven. God loved the world in this way. Jesus came to serve us and do everything we need in order to be able to have eternal life. Which brings us to the third point, words of affirmation. When you think about it, in in this verse that we're reading, this passage, Jesus is doing it right now, isn't he? He's, He's giving us words and he's saying, God loves you a lot. His words are affirming that God loves the world. It's interesting that one of the clearest ways to say you don't love someone is not to speak to them, to ignore them, to not to acknowledge them or to share your thoughts or share your feelings or include them or connect with them. You don't speak to someone. It, it, it says something, doesn't it? What I think is especially funny is that kids will often need to speak to you to tell you that that's exactly what they're doing. I'm not speaking to you. Um, but not speaking to someone can be really hurtful. But God speaks to us. In fact, Jesus is God's word to us. His word, his message, his affirmation that we are loved. See, John's gospel had, right at the very beginning, it had started with this amazing phrase. Chapter 1 verse 1 says, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." then it goes on to say, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is God's word in the flesh. Jesus is God's message to us. What God has to say about himself to us, what God has to say about life and love and the eternity to us is Jesus. It's his word of affirmation. But his word of affirmation is not to come and say, well done. You guys are great. You're all living exactly the way I want you to live because we know the opposite is true. But God's word to us in Jesus, God's message to us is no matter what you've done, no matter what your past is like, no matter who you are, no matter how you've treated me, God says you are still precious to me and I will die for you. See, those words should fill our hearts with joy and with such a deep, soul-satisfying contentment because we experience and we taste and we understand and we know God's love for us because he speaks it to us in Jesus. God takes it upon himself to speak and the word he speaks is unconditional love, forgiveness, acceptance, welcome through Jesus Christ. It's the message that the burden of having to be good enough, the burden of having to perform enough things in order for God to be happy with you, that burden's been removed and you are loved. And what it means is in a few chapters time in John chapter 6, there's a moment where all these crowds have followed Jesus. They've flocked to Jesus. They love to see all the impressive miracles that he does. But Jesus starts to challenge them and bring the truth to them and say, you know what, the only way you can know God and be loved by God is to come to me and you need to receive my life. And he challenges them. You've got to change who you are and change what you do. And what ends up happening? All the crowds leave. They all leave and all that's left is 12 disciples. And at that point, Jesus even says to them up on the screen, you don't want to go away too, do you? And then one of the disciples, Simon Peter says, Who will we go to? You have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? Who are we going to turn to? Jesus, what you speak, your words, your message, brings life that lasts forever. Because your word brings the love of God. And that brings us to our fourth point, which is physical touch. You might be interested to know that Australians have a reputation amongst the world for being people who love their personal space. Uh, you notice it, don't you, when you hop on the train or the bus and uh, there's rules on, uh, you've got to fill all the seats as far away from each other as possible until you're eventually forced to sit next to someone. And just as a little experiment, I want you to try next time you hop on the bus or the train. One other person on carriage, just go sit right next to them and see how that goes down. <laughs> Do you know, I remember seeing a, uh, a comic once, uh, an American comic about... Uh, personal space and different nationalities. And the first panel, it said, in Italy, you're allowed inside each other's clothes. And uh, it had these two dudes inside one jumper, just nose to nose, smiling and facing each other. You know, buongiorno, they're having a great time. You're allowed to be really up close and personal in Italy. In America, you're allowed inside the bad breath zone, is what it said. So you can talk quite close to each other. So there's a picture of these two dudes, pretty close, and a dotted line indicating, yep, he was in the bad breath zone. The last panel said, in Australia, anywhere is too dang close. <laughs> and I had this picture of a guy saying hello and uh, in the distance, on the horizon, walking the other way, you could just see this, this little speck of a guy with a thought bubble coming out saying, must be a tourist. <laughs> we love our personal space. But this doesn't deny, in fact, I think it reinforces, because you know I don't want to be touching strangers, but it actually reinforces that it's a really significant thing that one of the main ways we express love is through touch. A hug, an arm around the shoulders, a kiss, holding hands, all of them are significant signs of affection. And here's the thing. When God loved the world by giving us his son, it means Jesus became a man. Jesus took on flesh and blood. He became physical. He became one of us so that he could be close to us and we could be close to him so that he could connect to us and we could connect to him so that he could hold on to us and we could hold on to him. The Bible says God is spirit and we can't see him. Jesus came into the world. He enters the world of the physical so that he could be touched and he could touch us, which is exactly what he does in the Gospels. You know, he meets this man who has leprosy, this horrible, hideous skin disease, but even worse, what happened is he would be a social outcast. No one was out allowed to speak to this guy, go near this guy, or touch this guy. And everyone would, he got kicked out of town. He had to live in the caves outside of town because of, everyone was so worried about this, this disease. And Jesus meets this man, and you know what? Filled with love. Filled with compassion. You know what he does? He reaches out and he touches him. He touches this man. And he makes him clean. He loves this man and he touches him and he says, I want to have a relationship with you. That is God's love expressed in physical touch. People touch Jesus and they're healed. Jesus gathers the little kids into his arms and he blesses them and, and he loves them. He says, God loves little kids. And in the end, it was his physical body that hung there on the cross so that we can live forever. The soldiers and the crowds had grabbed him and they'd beaten him and flogged him and killed him and onto his body was poured all of the judgment for all of our sin. But then it was his physical body that rose triumphantly from the grave in the resurrection and he lives forever and he's coming back to get us. God's love for us is seen in him taking flesh to be one of us to live with us and be with us and to make it that we can be connected and united with him forever. And one of the things I'm really looking forward to in heaven in the new creation is for my heavenly father, God, to welcome me and love me and embrace me with those massive, big bear hugs that only a dad can give. How awesome will it be to see God face to face and be able to touch him and be held by him because God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son for us. Which brings us to our fifth and final point, quality time. Uh, Actually, I just think about it. Uh, God also sent Jesus to make all foods clean. So bacon is actually the sixth point now that I realize. But uh, quality time. When you think about it, Jesus came into our world because he loves us. He came to give his life to forgive us. He came to do everything that was required for us to be reconciled to God so we can have a right relationship with God. And he did all this, he tells us, because he wants to spend time with us. In fact, he wants to spend all of time with us. Eternity, infinite, never-ending time, Jesus says, I want you to be with me. And it's glorious and it's perfect and it's good. Come with me to heaven, to the new creation forever. That's quality time. God loved the world in this way he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's love, God's free gift is eternal life. This is how much he loves us. This is God's gift to us That's what his loving word to us is about. It's what Jesus came to do for us. It's why he became one of us so that we could live forever with him in heaven. Perfect life for all of time. God is saying to you tonight in every love language you can possibly think of. I love you. I want to spend the rest of eternity with you. Jesus has died and risen from the dead so that you can spend eternity with him. So, who gets to go to heaven? When we usually ask ourselves this question, we try to find the answer in ourselves, don't we? Am I the kind of person who God would let into heaven? Am I good enough? Have I done enough? Am I sorry enough? Have I prayed enough? Have I wanted it enough? Have I been to church enough? Have I made up for the bad stuff enough? But the answer isn't in us. God is the one who gives us eternal life as a free gift. God is the one who does everything required and he pays the price himself for us to enter heaven. God is the one who speaks and powerfully declares that we have permission to enter heaven. And God is the one who joins himself to us in Jesus so that we'll never be separated from him. And God is the one who offers us his time, eternity. God, out of love for us, has done and said and given us everything. So it's those who believe. It's those who trust Jesus It's those who receive his gift and accept his love. It's those who hear his words who get to go to heaven. And so that's why the prayer that I'm going to finish with tonight, which is on the inside of your uh, news sheets, the handouts that you got, there's a prayer in the top right-hand corner. And that prayer is an expression of the fact that God has done everything so that it's a free gift for us to be saved and forgiven. And we trust him, we believe him, And we accept Jesus. So I'm going to lead us in this prayer and invite you to pray it uh, with me. Dear God, I know that I am not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I am guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Amén.